Ministry download from the Lancet Healing Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at the Banks, St. Simpsons, in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. Washing to see. <laughs> and you'll see. So I'm just going to read a few verses. The whole chapter really is connected to this event, so if you get a chance when you go home, read the whole chapter. It's amazing. Uh, a lot of incredible truths in it. But I'm just going to read a few verses from this up to verse 7. Anyway, John chapter 9. Now Jesus passed by. He saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me. While it is day, the night is coming, when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When he said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbours and those who previously had seen him, seen he was blind, said, is not, is not this he who sat and begged? But some said, this is, this is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Okay, we'll just read the whole chapter when you get back. Uh, we'll come back to that. Uh, it's great, great stories, and you, all, all kinds of other things come out of it. If you ever looked at that story, uh, Jesus tells this guy to go and wash in a pool of Siloam. I thought it's strange. You'll find the majority of the healings of Jesus happened. He would just heal people directly. It is a question: Why did Jesus? How do we know Jesus could have healed this man directly? Is that true? And Jesus instead tells him to go and wash. That's an interesting thought. I want to get a hold of that. We're told there that the word solo means the sent one. It's a picture of a water that transforms. I think that God wants to bring into our lives these just encounters. This guy went to the went to this water to wash. Because out of that water, there came this incredible God encounter. And, and the thing that really transforms our lives, ultimately speaking, is how many realise it's a God encounter? That's the thing that really transforms us. An encounter that so impacts us, at the core of our being, we are totally changed. Because when you truly encounter God, I think a true encounter always causes this result. It's something that happens inside of you. It's not just an outward encounter, it's something that happens so inside you, it just transforms your life. And you'll find that the, the disciples always have to pay very close attention to the miracles of Jesus. Because what Jesus always wanted to do 
it wasn't just about the miracle itself. I didn't realise that. Because really, about because the result of every miracle was it revealed something about God. It wasn't just the miracle itself. The disciples had to learn certain kingdom principles. The disciples had to learn something of what that miracle was revealing. Is that true? And you'll probably find it good in your own life that whenever God does a miracle in your life, don't just look to the, to the, to the act of itself, but look beyond that, kind of trace it back and see what it reveals about God. What aspect, what character, what part of God does it reveal to you? If we just focus on the miracle itself, sometimes we can miss what God wants to reveal to us. Amen? And so what Jesus isn't just wants the disciples just to get the physical act of healing, but he wants them to understand something of the power of seeing and the power of what happens when you're blind. And we're not just talking about physical blindness, we're talking about a spiritual blindness. You'll find as you read that whole chapter, Jesus begins to begin to, through that miracle, begins to reveal that there were certain groups in that story, although they could physically see, they were more blind than that man. And so he's revealing the power of, of sight. Not just physical, but, 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 but spiritual sight. For example, look at verse 41 that kind of reveals this. It says in verse 41, and it kind of seems a very strange thing to say. It says, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. What's this sense that, that the more you claim you see, in a sense, the more blind you become. You see what I'm saying? And the Pharisees were blind, if you like, because they really, although they had the, all, all the outward trimmings of everything, yet their heart had lost connection with God. And they were basing so much on the form rather than the heart connection with God. And it's almost that when you lose heart connection with God, you become blind. You lose spiritual perception. You don't see things the way that God wants you to see. True, if you like, true vision only comes by seeing God. The more my heart's connected to him, the more I'm going to see from a true perspective. If I don't see through that perspective, then there'll be a blindness the way I perceive the things of life. It's interesting that through this kind of encounter, you think of this guy, the things that were restored to him. The Bible says he was a beggar. But the moment his vision was restored back to him, he ceased begging. And I think when we lose spiritual vision, we almost begin to beg God rather than use the authority, rather than live our lives to the grace of God because we've not got spiritual vision. The guy sees that Jesus is a prophet. Through spiritual vision, you begin to see that prophetic dimension of Jesus' ministry and you begin to allow him to direct and lead your life. Look at verse 2 and 3. This is where I want to maybe... A little bit folks, we're going to touch a few things there again. But it's interesting that here come the disciples, and it says in verse 2 or 3, Lord, Rabbi, who caused this man to be blind? Was it his parents? Was it him? Was it his sin? Isn't it interesting, and that's what we get a hold of, that how we see situations and we begin 
out of our own lack of perception, begin to try to, 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 try, and make, to try and blame somebody or, or, or try to excuse something. I see the power of that because as you look at that, these, the disciples say, Lord, whose fault is this? They were really looking for someone to blame. And Jesus said, look, don't de- I've not come to debate this, but I've come to provide a solution to it. Isn't it amazing that out of our own blindness, people can make certain opinions and views on people and things in life. That we, we, we have all these kind of opinions and we form all kinds of viewpoints, but it's often out of blindness rather than out of understanding of the Lord's view of something. Jesus puts it this way, he says, how come that you see the log in somebody else's life, but you don't see the little bit of thing in your own eye? It's this picture of somebody walking around with a massive log in their eye, and say, by the way, you've got a little splinter in your eye. And it's out of that sense that, that we, we can form opinions over situation. You think, this man wasn't blind, he, he was blind, but you know what, he wasn't deaf. And he was just standing just right by these people, hearing them giving opinions over his hurt, over his pain. Isn't that awful that people can give opinions why people are in a certain place or a certain conditions, and we do it out of blindness rather than because we've had any spiritual perception of what they're going through. Amen? And what took place was they were looking for someone to blame. Whose fault was it? Whose fault was it that this man was in that condition? And every time we don't understand something, we always look for somebody else to blame. I want you to see the power of that. Because as long as you and I always blame somebody, we never get help ourselves. Because there's the point. If it's somebody else's fault that I'm in the condition I am, then really only they can fix it. Because it's somebody else's fault. So if it's their fault, then only they can, can fix the condition I'm in. Isn't that true? But when I realise, actually, God, you're the answer, you're the solution, I'm not looking for anyone else to blame, but it's by faith and by trusting you that you can actually fix it. Because as long as we blame other people, we'll never gain control and we'll block the faith, which means God uses to fix us. So get a hold of that. There's the first thing. They're looking for somebody else to blame. So they're blaming maybe others as another sense of blame that people can do. People can blame themselves. And I term that as the power of accusation. Because as we just see, the Bible says the word devil means slanderer. And one of the major works of the enemy against you is to slander you, is to accuse you, is to bring up the past, is to bring up the failures, is to bring up the mistakes. And the moment you live under accusation continually, you can have such an amazing day, but you can't enjoy it because you think you don't deserve to have a good day. And so what starts off a good day becomes a bad day because you don't think you've got any right to enjoy a good day. Because you're full of accusation. The enemy will bring your failures. It continually brings things against you. And here's what I love, I want you to get a hold of. The blind man had nobody who could 
defend him except Jesus. And I love this fact that it was Jesus who defended him. And really we have nobody to defend us except Jesus. Isn't that awesome? And so any time the enemy accuses you, why don't you tell the enemy to take it up with Jesus? Because he's the one who's our advocate. He's the one who pleads our cause. Can you say amen? Now here's what Jesus says. As they're looking for somebody to blame, as they're bringing accusations, Jesus says something very powerful. He says that the works of God are done so that he might be glorified. He said it's not because of some issue in this man's life. It's so, it's so that God's glory could be manifested through him. Why don't you get a hold of that? Isn't that powerful? It's actually no one's fault really. No blame, no accusation. But it's so the glory of God could be manifested. In other words, his blindness created an opportunity for the glory of God. Not that God caused the blindness, but God, if you like, used the opportunity to bring glory to him. And this is what I want you to see this morning. That through limitations in our life, God can be glorified. That sometimes God will allow you and I to come into situations that are beyond our power to deal with so that he gets the glory. Time and time again he'll do that. He'll allow you to come in situations that you feel you haven't got the power, you haven't got the ability, you haven't got the resources to deal with and he allows those things so he will get the glory from it. And you'll find it time and time again in the Bible. We're told that Gideon had to to limit the army that he had to 300. Even though he was facing a huge army. Why did God do that? So when Gideon won the battle, who do you think got the glory for it? We're told Joshua had to walk around the, the walls seven times and just be silent. How many think that's not a very good battle strategy? Why did God do that? So that he will get the glory. I just want to see that. That often God will allow certain things in our life that we come to a point, a point of limitation so he gets the glory. It may be tough now, but he will turn it around for his glory. It might, it might be tough, right? It might be painful right now, but God will turn it around for his glory. In other words, a miracle can only happen when it's beyond human power and human ability. If we can do it in human power and human ability, how many realise we don't need a miracle? Is that true? But the very fact we've run out of human resources, human power, human ability, that means that's an opportunity for a miracle. Amen? I just think of Lazarus. Do you remember that story about Lazarus? And Jesus heard that Lazarus was dead. Now, or, no, sorry, Lazarus was ill. Remember here, that's what he said, Lazarus was, you know, Lazarus, the one you love, is ill. So what did Jesus do? Did he run immediately to him? The Bible says he waited four days until the guy had died. Now, it's interesting, why four days? Theologians tell us that in Hebrew thought, for three days after somebody died, that their spirit would hover around them. On the fourth day, their spirit would go, would leave. 
And so Jesus waited till absolutely, totally gone. Totally no human, just everything totally gone, finished, died, out of the way. The Bible says his body stanketh. Remember that verse? Jesus says the reason why that's happened is so the Father might be glorified and that you might have faith. I think there's many situations in time where Jesus will wait till human resources runs out. Till we've come to an end of ourselves. We haven't got any more plans. We haven't got any more schemes. We've got nothing else we can rely on. Why? So he's glorified. Because when God works and God moves, people say that's God. There could be no other reason for that. That God did it. And through that, God, how many are glad that God is glorified? God is glorified. And I think miracles, you know what the, you know what the atmosphere that God brings miracles in is the expectation. And the, the moment we lose expectation, we lose an atmosphere of miracles. But as long as we say, Lord, I've run out of human resources, but I'm expecting you to show up. I'm expecting you to come into this situation, then God will come. And I think miracles give evidence that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is real. There's no, there's, he is powerful. Nothing is impossible for him. You know why that is? Because miracles are not dependent on our ability, but are dependent on his ability and his power. And God, I believe with all my heart, is wanting to do more and more miracles in our lives. Amen. But he's not doing it to glorify us. He's doing it so he gets the glory for it. So, you know, someone said this, and it always struck me. You know, all of us really, if I can put it that way, should actually have a testimony that only God could have done. A testimony to his glory. A testimony that only God did it. And I think that is something that kind of touches hearts. If people can see that we've done it in our own human power and our human ability, it tends not to impress people. But the moment they realise, only God could do it. Something beyond their ability. You know what? When they saw this blind man, they said, that can't be that man. That surely can't be him. There was a miracle as the only explanation for his life. I wonder if that's true of us. Is the only explanation for our lives and our situation a miracle? Is that the only explanation people can give? Because when that is true, then God gets all the glory. Amen. Now, here's this very interesting picture here. Because Jesus takes this man, and I'm looking at a moment, he takes dirt and he takes saliva. And he touches and applies to that man's eyes. I love this fact. But when Jesus touched him, he touched him in the place that hurt most. I'm told that in your eye there are 10,000 nerves. How many realise how sensitive your eye is? Ever had a little bit of hair in your eye? Ever had that? You're not painful. I mean, it's just horrible because your eye is just so sensitive. And what Jesus wants to do, he wants to touch us at the place that hurts the most. That's why the key to so much is to learn to open our hearts and to open our minds and allow him to come and to touch us at the place that hurts the most. Some of those parts of our lives are the lives, are, are the pathways that we want to close up, that we want to shut down. But Jesus says, I want to come to the most sensitive part of your life and that's the part I want to touch. That's the part I want my spirit to come upon. 
Because when I touch you at the deepest core of your being, that's what transforms you. And the most painful part of that man's life is where Jesus came and where Jesus began to touch him. And he would say that nothing touches your life like a touch from Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Nothing touches your life like a touch from Jesus. Now, let's look at this. I want to get hold of this now. I'm going to do it now. Let me take this off a second. Jesus, we're told, he took dirt and he began to mix it with his saliva. How many would think to be touched by the saliva of Jesus is pretty powerful? Now, you think about this. Now, this may not be pleasant, okay? But what is the first thing this man hears? You know what he hears? I'm sorry to do this, but you, you, you know what I'm saying? I can't do it very loud, but you know what I'm getting at. That's the first thing that this guy hears. He really does. This is the first thing this guy hears. How did God, we're tired, you know how God, the Bible says that God shaped man? The Bible says that God shaped man out of the earth. And you want to see that Jesus took the dirt. And this is what I found, that sometimes before a miracle happens, God allows a mess. In fact, when God is working, sometimes it seems a mess. How many have found that? It seems an absolute mess. Nothing seems to make sense. It seems an absolute mess. Before the miracle, he made a mess. I think before God allows you to get your breakthrough, sometimes God will allow a mess. Maybe your situation right now may just seem like dirt, disappointment, discouragement, regrets. And it really just, just seems like dirt. Maybe you can see relationships and it just seems like dirt. And you may be in a job or a career that just seems like dirt. And all kinds of things in your life right now. And it just seems such a mess and it just seems like dirt. And this is what God wants to do. He wants to pour water of his spirit into your mess. That's what he wants to do. He wants to pour the water, he wants to pour the spirit into your mess because out of the mud, miracles began to happen. See, dirt represents humanity, water represents the Holy Spirit. And Jesus takes what is common with man and begins to connect it is what divine. Because if your situation just seems like dirt, then why don't you just add water to it? Why don't you vow, allow the Holy Spirit to come into your situation? Because Jesus takes what is common and when he adds his spirit to it, it becomes uncommon. In other words, the natural touches the supernatural. And that's what Jesus says today. He says, I want to make a miracle out of your mess. So the world calls it failure. You know what God calls it? Fertiliser. Because God can work in such powerful ways in it. The world calls it a mess. God calls it opportunity to do something awesome, to bring a miracle into your mess. And that's what God simply says to you this morning. 
Bring me your dirt. Bring me your shortcomings. Bring me your regrets. Let me pour my spirit because there's a miracle in the mud. Because he wants to take the situations that seem hopeless, that seem dark, that seem dirty, and he says, I want to add my spirit to it. How many say it's amazing today? There really is a miracle in the mud. There really is a miracle in all the dirt that sometimes we experience in life. There's a miracle in it. You'll be amazed at what God can do when he pours his spirit into your mess. Can you say amen? I was just thinking actually how the... So here's this man. He has the mess. But when he begins to bathe himself in the water, totally cleanses his heart. And sometimes when we come and say, Lord, today there's all kinds of dirt, all kinds of mess in me, and you go to these waters... These waters have an incredible ability to wash you clean at the core of your being. Aren't you glad about that? See, there's power in the water. There's power when we let the Spirit of God cleanse us from all the dirt, from all the things that impact and influence our life. If we would just come to the waters, those waters are going to just totally cleanse us. Isn't that awesome? Isn't the God of Jesus to bring cleansing power? Now think about this. Here's an interesting thing. Was the man healed when Jesus put that stuff on his eye? Right there and then. Think about it. Was he healed then? He was still blind. Never thought about that. And Jesus sends this man to the pool, which is half a mile away. How does he send him? He sends him blind. He sends him blind. He sends him to that situation blind. Jesus says, Go. That's God who says, I'm not going anywhere until I'm healed. I'm not doing anything till it makes sense, till I can understand. And Jesus challenges the man to go blind. The Bible says this, that we don't walk by what? Sight. We walk by faith. And there's some situations in life that you and I have to walk through even though we don't understand what's happening. Even though we can't grasp it intellectually. Even though we can't work it out. I think there's some things we've got to just walk through blind. Walk through with faith. The moment you and I walk by what we see, when we walk by our feelings, when we walk by our circumstances, actually we are walking in spiritual blindness. There's some things we're going to say, Lord, I don't understand this, I can't work it out intellectually, I don't know why I'm going through what I'm going through, but I'm trusting you. This man would say, you know what? I'm going. Even though I'm still blind, I'm going because I'm acting on what Jesus has said. And true faith, ultimately, is acting on what God has said by his word. It's not acting by what I feel. It's not acting by what I I perceive things to be. It's walking by saying, God, you said this, and I'm acting on what you have said. Even though I can't see how it's all going to work out, even though I can't see how this whole thing is going to turn around, I'm acting, believing that you're going to work it out for me. Amen? 
I'm walking blind physically. But actually, when you walk on the Word of God, it's more real to you than what you can physically see. Can you say amen? I just love this fact that this, you know, Peter was fishing. And he says, I've fished all night. How many have done that? Caught nothing. But he says, Nevertheless, at your <laughs> nevertheless at your word, I'll do it. And the moment he acted on the word is when the miracle happened. And the moment you and I act on what God has said, when we act on the word, that's when the miracle begins to happen. It doesn't happen sometimes until we act on it. If we're waiting for it to happen, it's never going to happen. Sometimes we've got to act on what God has said, and as we act on what God has said, that's when the miracle is released. You see, we want to see it, we want to understand it, we want to see how it's all going to work through. But so much of what we do in the Christian faith is all about walking blind. Walking by faith, what not by sight. You think about it. Another interesting thing. Jesus didn't say to the guy, I tell you what, the disciples are going to lead you to the pool right now. Go on, guys, go in by the hand and take him there. You think about it. He had to find his own way there. He had to find his own way there. I think there's some things in life, there are some situations where we have got to do it alone with Jesus. It's just you, I, and Jesus. Sometimes, instead of relying on anything else, We've got to learn just to totally and utterly rely on Jesus. Because that's the time when your faith's going to grow. Haven't you found that? That's the time when he's going to do something in your life so amazing, so awesome, but he's saying, Jesus, only you can do it. It's just me and you. Only you and I can work this out together. I just think this is mad. He couldn't see, but the wonderful thing was he could hear. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You begin to let God speak his word into your heart. Then you act on what he has said, and that's where the miracle begins to be birthed. What seems dirt suddenly becomes an amazing miracle of breakthrough. Isn't that awesome? He began to act on what he said. He began to act on his word. And I really believe that each step of the, each step he was taking, he was praising every step. He was almost saying, you know what, I haven't got my miracle yet. But every step I take means I'm almost there. Every step I take, I praise you God for every step I take. Because I might, have, I might not have a miracle yet in my mess, but every step I take towards you, every step I take towards your word, means I'm nearer to the miracle than I was before. So there's this sense, this guy begins to walk to the pool. He walks to the pool. If you've had mud in your eye, I'm not going to do that, but if you've got mud over your eye, how many have found that, that could be very irritating? And that's where you're walking in. If you, have you ever, ever felt something over their eye? Ever been to sleep at night and you just feel something on your eye? Even though it's just on your eye, it's irritating. And it's almost in the place of irritation, God begins to do a work in our life. One of my favourite pictures in the Bible is the eagle. I've preached about it a lot. I love that picture of the eagle and the believer. One of the verses that always is a great challenge to me 
is it says the mother eagle stirs up the nest. And I think often through times of irritation, times of, of, of stirrings, times of, of those moments in our life where we, where, where, everything, where we feel vulnerable, you know, God sometimes will work in those moments because God does not want us to be uncomfortable. Because You know how the eagle stirs up its nest? As I've said before, there's that beautiful little eaglet sitting in a nest. In fact, you know what I found on YouTube the other day, I mean, Andrew watched it. It's, it's an actual live picture of an eagle in a nest. And you can watch it for hours and hours and hours. And all there is is this eagle in a nest. And it, it, I mean, I'm fascinated by it. Just this eagle lying in a nest. And it seems so at peace, so comfortable. There's going to come a time, I, I, I hope I can get, when I see that, but there comes a time when that, that mother eagle is going to start to dismantle the nest. So the eaglet becomes uncomfortable. Things begin to stick out. It's, it's uncomfortable. It's, it's, a, it's not a, a comfortable place to be. The reason why that happens is because if it doesn't happen that way, then the eagle will never leave its nest. And sometimes in life, God will not allow you to get comfortable. Because if, if you do, then you're never going to leave your nest. There are certain things that God allows so you become uncomfortable. You feel this... Where before you used to feel so happy, suddenly now it's uncomfortable, it's disturbing. And you can't reason out why that's happened. It's because God is preparing you to kick you out your nest. Why? Because the only place the eagle is going to fly. And you realise the eagle is isn't, it's not going to fly in the nest, is that true? It's only going to fly outside of the nest. And that's the place where God sometimes will bring us out of a place where we feel comfortable, where we feel uncomfortable, where we feel that, that the things that we've been trusting in, the things that we've been relying on before, are no longer there. And all we've got is God. How many realise that's probably the greatest place you could ever be? It's most uncomfortable, most disturbing, most challenging, but it's the place that you and I are going to fly into credible heights and depths with God. Can you say amen? So here's the next thing. Jesus says, go to the pool. In other words, immerse yourself in something bigger than yourself. I think often, we sometimes can cease to commit ourselves beyond ourselves. You know what I'm saying? That we, we only commit ourselves to a certain level that we feel is within ourselves. And the danger is if we never commit ourselves outside of ourselves, then that leads to mediocre. It leads to average Christian living. If I never commit myself to something bigger than me, then I'll never ever develop or grow. Sometimes I've got to commit myself to something that's greater than bigger than me. That's what the pool was. It was bigger than the guy. Bigger than what he had. And sometimes we've got to commit ourselves. You know, I love the story of Mary. The alabaster bottle. That's one of my favourite stories in the Gospels. Where she was willing to commit herself way beyond herself. The Bible says the, the, the flask, the alabaster bottle that she broke open was worth the wages of a man, of a, worth of, of a year's wages for a man. It was her pension, something that she held in reserve for, for the rainy day, for the pension. But she was willing to take what is extravagant because she wanted to not live in average and minimum. So she did something extravagant. 
And there's something powerful about doing something beyond yourself that is extravagant, that brings the fragrance, that brings the presence of God on your life. It's sometimes good also about doing something you've never done before. If we only do something that we're familiar with and we're comfortable with, then we're going to be limited. But sometimes we've got to do something we've never done before. Because that's where the fragrance, that's where the power of God is released, when we go beyond ourselves. We go beyond what is, what is limiting us, and we go beyond doing something we've never done before, something that even though we feel uncomfortable in doing it, we feel God is leading us to do it, and we're going to just step out there and go there. And that's where God begins to do something incredible, begins to do something awesome in our lives. Now, you think about this. As he began to dip in something, it was something that just washed over him, washed over his eyes, washed away the irritation, washed away all the things, it was something fresh. And I just feel so much with all my heart that we've got to continually live in the freshness of God. Whatever God does is fresh. We can't live off past experiences. We can't live off past blessings. We've got to constantly allow the refreshing work of the Spirit to refresh us continually. So we never get stale. So we never get complacent. Constantly fresh things of God being poured into our lives. Let me close by saying this. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. He said, He's anointed me to what? To give sight to the blind. He wasn't necessarily talking to those who were physically blind. He was talking to people who were spiritually blind. And this is what he indicates. He says, to set the captives free. Often through spiritual blindness, people are held in some levels of captivity. They're limited, they're restricted, they're held back in life. Because there's the point. You can't do something that you can't spiritually see. Every decision that you and I make, how we respond to something, is based on what we can see. This man refused to give way to the opposition he faced. From the, from, he faced opposition from the Pharisees. He, felt, he even faced opposition from his parents. How many thought that if, you, if your parents and you were blind and suddenly you got your sight back, how many would think they would be absolutely thrilled about that? But the Bible says they were absolutely, they, were, they, were, they held back on it. They were embarrassed about it. They were more concerned of what people thought rather than the miracle that happened to their son. Isn't that sad? And so they were unable to celebrate the great victory that their son had. You see, blindness will prevent you from really celebrating the amazing things that God does because you can't see it. You can't perceive it, so you don't celebrate. Part of vision, part of seeing things the way God wants you to see things, is it brings life of celebration. So there's the point. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointing me to preach good news. Let me ask you this question. Would you say everything from Genesis to Revelation is good news? <laughs> There's some stuff in there that may not necessarily be good news in one sense. But the good news that Jesus was talking about was what he was going to preach and declare, which was grace. He was saying, I'm preaching a message of grace, which is amazingly good news for those who are here. And when people get a hold of the message of grace, you know what's going to do? They're suddenly going to see. 
Prison doors are going to be open. That is the, the captivity of wanting to perform, the captivity of being under people's opinion, people's views, which brings people into captivity. When you understand the grace of God, it sets you free. Because now you are perceiving things in a way that God wants you to perceive life. He wants you to see your life through his grace. And until you perceive things through grace, there will always be a blindness about the things that happen in your life. You'll never fully comprehend it. You'll never fully see it. You kind of think God's judging you, or this is happening because of this reason, that reason. But when your eyes are opened, and you see your life totally and utterly based on the grace of God, prison doors are opened. Captivity is broken free. Because your eyes are now opened. Because you've understood the good news of grace. And the good news of grace enables you to perceive and see things the way that God wants you to see. No longer living on the captivity of of performance-based things, but based on the grace. And I found the more you understand about the grace of God, the more you're going to love him. The more you're going to perceive things the way that God wants you to perceive it. And I think more and more God wants to open your eyes by allowing your life to flow in the rivers and the pool of grace. Amen. Thank you for listening. To let me download.